Thank you for tuning in today at Propel Church. Whether you're watching through YouTube or listening through a podcast, we want to say thank you. Our hope at Propel is that you would be propelled into an authentic relationship with Jesus. From wherever you are tuning in, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Come on, man. I am so excited to be with you today and believe God's going to do some amazing things. Hey, if you're new here at Propel, my name is Pastor Nick Newman. My wife and I started this church about six and a half years ago, and uh, we're so excited that you're here today because you could have been anywhere. You could have picked any church to try this weekend, and you picked Propel, and we're so grateful for that. The only thing we ask of you, if you'd consider yourself new, is stop by the New Here Lounge. We've got a gift that we'd love to give you uh, just as a way of saying thanks for being with us this morning. But church, could you help me say good morning to every new person with us today? Come on. Pumped, pumped. Also want to let you know, if you're a Duke fan today, prayer will be available during the fourth song. No, but uh, so, so glad that you're here and uh, glad you made it to church today if you were still awake watching that game, right? So late night, but man, we're excited because we are in the middle of a message series called Compelled. And the whole purpose is to really help us get focused on the areas of our life that we can leverage to help people meet Jesus. And so in week one of this message series, we talked out of John chapter four about how our story is that we have an encounter with Jesus. From that encounter, he changes our lives. And then we go and tell other people about him. Then last week, we talked about how we need to be compelled to use our gifts to make a difference in God. God's kingdom. And we talked about discovering your purpose, unleashing your passion, and embracing your placement. If you missed either one of those messages, they're available on our YouTube channel. You can go check those out. I think you'll want to be up to date with where we are. But you don't have to be a part of those previous weeks to get today's message. Today, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about being compelled to use your finances to make a difference. Now, sometimes when we talk about money in church, people get a little weird, they get a little uncomfortable, right? Because nobody likes to talk about money, except for the fact that Jesus loves to talk about money. And the reason why Jesus loves to talk about money is because he doesn't want your wallet, he wants your heart. But he says very clearly that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you want to figure out what you love, just look at what you spend money on. Come on, Jordans and Taco Bell, right? Like I'm just... You got to find out what you love and then you'll see that as you uncover where you spend your money and how you leverage your finances, it really communicates what has control of your life. And so Jesus talks a lot about money and we're going to talk about money today. We talk about money here at Propel Church about five to six times a year. I'm really intentional and strategic about it. And the reason why I talk about it so much is I'm actually really passionate about helping you experience the blessing of God in your finances. I will tell you there was years of my life where I heard people talk about money and I thought to myself, oh, the church just wants my money. Can I tell you something? The church don't need your money. God has been providing for this church for long enough. He's going to keep doing what he's been doing. But when you trust God with your finances, you unlock blessings that you could never imagine. And so I want to talk to you from a passage of text today in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul is 
writing a letter to a young pastor named Timothy. Now, they've developed a relationship over the years because Timothy was a person that Paul was mentoring. He would take him on excursions. Timothy would go to help preach and teach around the world. And then finally, Timothy takes over a church. He's stepping into a pastoral role. And Paul, who writes the majority of the New Testament, writes these two letters to Timothy to encourage him and to challenge him as he is navigating life as a pastor. And so this is what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. It says, compel those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need, and look at that word, for our enjoyment. So the reason why God has given you things is not so that you can be miserable. He actually wants you to enjoy it. God has no problem with you having stuff. He just minds when your stuff has you. When your stuff is the thing that controls your life, it was never designed to be that way because it's unreliable. So... God designed you to enjoy your stuff. And then it says this, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and be generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience life. What I love about this passage of text is Paul would write this to encourage a young pastor, Timothy. And I think part of the reason why Paul writes an encouraging letter to Timothy is because sometimes as a pastor, money is one of those topics you avoid. It's one of those things you kind of like, I don't know if we're going to talk about it, you know, or not. Paul says, no, hey, you have a role. Here's one of the things you need to know about me as a pastor, as a leader. I'm held accountable by God to what I teach you and what I choose to not teach you. And so Paul says, hey, Timothy, make sure you don't miss this. There's some people in your church. You need to compel those. Other translations will use the word teach or encourage. Compel those who are rich in this present world to not put their hope in money, but to trust in God. First and foremost, what we see is that he says that this idea of using your finances is for those who are rich in this present world. Now, for most of us in the room today, we would go, well, glad I get to check out right there because I am not rich. But you don't have to feel rich to be rich. See, most of us don't even understand just how rich we are. According to Google, if your uh, median household income, so if your combined household income exceeds $48,000, you are in the top wage earners of the entire world. And you say, well, pastor, that's not me. Well, here's the good news. You're still rich. See, if you have a roof over your head, you're some of the wealthiest people in the world. If you have more than one car in your driveway, you're rich. If you have this room in your house that's dedicated, it's a dedicated space for your clothes to live. Come on, it's called a closet. You are rich. And if you have a basement, whoo, you are, you are, you're so rich. We don't understand just how rich and how blessed we are because we live in comparison to the person who owns the house next door to us. And somehow they were able to pay $85,000 in cash over asking price for that house and they got that 
$400,000 truck in the driveway. I mean, you know, in that lawnmower they pull out and you're like, well, compared to them, I'm not rich. But if we would get out of our North American bubble and we would go into other countries in the world, what we would begin to see is that we are blessed beyond all imagination, that we are rich in what we've been given. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, you've probably got some people in your church who are rich in this present world, but don't even realize it. And those are the people you need to talk to because if you're not careful, because you don't understand just how blessed you are, you'll put your hope and trust in money, which is so unreliable. And so if we're going to use the things that God has given us, if we're going to be compelled to use our finances to make a difference in God's kingdom, there's a couple things we need to do. And here's the first one. We need to trust in God as our provider. Trust in God as our provider. That's how Paul kind of starts this out, to talk to those who are rich. And he says not to become proud in your money, but it's unreliable. Instead, your trust should be in God. And the reason why that's the case is because money, some people teach this wrong. They say, well, you know, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money's a tool and it makes a great tool. You can do a ton with it, but money, while it's a great tool and a great resource, makes a terrible God. It makes a terrible thing for us to put our hope and trust in because if you've been watching over the last you know, couple years, uh, if your hope and trust is in money, when the stock market goes down, your hope depletes. Your joy fades. God didn't design you to live based on the stock market. He designed you to have your hope in something that has never crashed, never faded, never faltered, and it's him. Our hope can't be in Money, it has to be in God as our provider. So a biblical viewpoint of finances is that every single thing we have comes from God. And why did he give it to us? For our enjoyment. He gave us 100% of what we have, and we trust him to provide for us. I remember years ago, I was really struggling with this concept, and, and I teach Sometimes people think just because you teach means you got it all together. (laughs) No, right? So we were about two and a half years into planting the church. I was working, uh, running a graphic design agency out of St. Louis, doing business development for them. And I had helped this company grow from uh, a couple hundred thousand a year in sales to several million dollars. And we were scaling it. And I had this idea that I've been sitting on. If you know me, I got ideas all the time, right? So I've been sitting on this idea and I was like, I think this one's gonna, this is gonna be a good one. So what I did is I worked it out with this company that we were gonna launch this new web store. We had just sold a website to Microsoft. We were doing all these things, it was great. But after we launched this, I was gonna get to retain like 25% of the lifetime sales of this thing. And I was thinking, I've made it. I have set myself up for financial success. I am good to go. And I remember Tori challenged me in that season because I was working 80, 90 hours a week, full-time at the church, full-time at this other place. And she was like, you got to slow down. And I was like, girl, you don't understand. If I can just hustle for a little while longer, we're going to buy a house in cash, right? Like we were, I was, this is where I was heading. But how many of you know if, if uh, it's just a season lasts for more than a couple months, it's not a season, it's a lifestyle, 
I'd honestly become attracted to the hustle and the busyness and the pace of living. And what ended up happening is we launched the store and the checks never came. We did this thing and now all of a sudden these contracts are gone and I'm owed hundreds of thousands of dollars and I was ready to sue everybody because I was so mad and just felt like the Lord said to walk away. What had happened in that season is I'd become so reliant on my ability to hustle and grind that I stopped trusting in God as my provider and I started trusting in my ability to provide for my family. And here's the thing about God. Sometimes he'll bring you to a place where he's all you have so you realize he's all you need. He doesn't play seconds. And it was in that season where I lost a ton that I realized that God is ultimately the only thing that we can put our hope and trust in. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 would say it like this. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Why? Because it's impossible to build your kingdom and God's kingdom at the same time. That's why scripture says if we would seek first the kingdom of God, everything else would be added to us. We have to put our trust in God as our provider. And when we can't do it, ultimately what it communicates is that we don't trust God's character to take care of his children. But how do we start trusting God? Well, we start trusting through tithing. Tithing is trusting. It's where if you didn't grow up in church, you hear people like throw out things like tithe all the time. And you're like, I don't even know what that means. They just say the word tithe just means 10%. Okay. But sometimes people go, oh man, I went down to, uh, that church was doing a hot dog sale, bought a hot dog. That's a tithe. It's not a tithe. That's not how tithing works. Because here's, here, let me tell you this real quick, and I know I'm going to get some pushback, and that's fine. You can send an email to apicket at propel.church. Um, if, if you determine where you tithe, it's not tithing because you're still in control of your finances. Tithing is trusting. Tithing is where we return back to God 10% to the storehouse, the local church that he's planted us in. It doesn't mean that you don't give above and beyond that. If you want to give to this missions organization and that one, do that. But the tithe goes to the storehouse. We're just returning to God what's his. I'm not going, oh, I'm going to give this portion here and that portion there. Then I'm still in control of my finances. That's not how tithing works. Tithing is to say, God, I'm trusting you with what you gave me. And when we do that, tithing is to say that we trust God with the first 10% of what he gave us, knowing he could do way more with the 90% left over than we could ever do with 100. Because God doesn't bless what he's not in control of. So that's why we trust God with our tithing. So Paul says, hey, you need to trust God as your provider. And we know that God takes care of his children. And as we trust him and not put our hope in money, we go back to verse 18 in first Timothy. It says this, then it says to tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Now, sometimes we don't like when people tell us what to do with our money, but Paul doesn't seem to care in this passage of text. He says, hey, here's what I want you to do, Timothy. I want you to compel those who are rich in this present world. Tell them, here's what they need to do with their money. They need to do something good with it. 
I need to do something that makes a difference. And how we would define making a difference is something that makes an eternal impact. If we feed somebody, but they don't meet Jesus, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. That's why we love to partner with kingdom organizations that we're going to make sure you get a full belly and Jesus at the same time. So he says, tell them to do good works. But then he adds this little thing here that I love so much, always being ready to share with others. And there's two reasons why we aren't ready to share with people at all times. And the first one is that we spend 100% of what we make. And I've taught this, you can go back, you can look at uh, archives from November of 2021 and March of 2020. Miracles take place in the margin. If you spend 100% of what you make, God doesn't have room to move in your finances. You need to create margin and space so that when a need becomes available or you encounter a problem, you'll begin to see how God has strategically positioned you to fix the problems that just happened to pop up in front of you. Why? Because you were prepared to be generous and ready to serve people on every occasion. So that's the first one. But the second one is, is greed. And most of us would go, I'm not a greedy person. I'm not a person that struggles with greed. But I say it like this, that greed is just when we go into self-preservation mode with our finances. When we get so worried about what's going on in our personal finances that we feel like holding on to it is the best bet. And we think, here's how you can figure out if you have a greed problem, you think that more money will actually fix your problems. More money, more problems. I'm just saying, that's how it works. Paul says to be ready to share on every occasion. Here's the second thing for you this morning. Are you still with me, 1030? Yeah. All right, seven of you. Greed is fought through generosity. Greed is fought through generosity. Where greed will take you is you'll end up in a place where you're living your life with materialism, where the accumulation of more and the acquisition of more you'll think will actually satisfy you. And if that were true, the wealthiest people in the world would also be the happiest. But we know that's not true. In fact, you can look at, I, I was watching an interview the other day with uh, a young guy who is in the, he's in the rap game, come on, you know? And he is, he started when he was like 12 rapping. He finally became famous around 18. He's 21 now. And he said, I thought that making money and doing what I've always dreamed of would actually satisfy. And I'm the most miserable I've ever been in my life. Because the more you have doesn't make you happier. It's doing something good with what you've been given. So how do we fight against greed? We embrace a lifestyle of generosity where we choose to give and give freely. When we tithe, we're not generous. We're just obedient. And that's where God protects our finances. But blessing begins at 11%. Where that's where we experience God. Proverbs 11, 24 through 25 says this, give freely and become more wealthy. Now, if you listen to modern day teachers of finances, what they'll tell you is if you hold on to it, if you just save, 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 then you'll become more wealthy. But if you give freely, you'll become more wealthy. Be stingy and you'll lose everything. The generous will prosper. I call This is what, when we read through scripture, it's called a contingent promise. It's not that the generous might prosper. 
It's the generous will prosper. If you choose to hold on to what you've been given, you'll lose it all. But if you're generous, you will prosper. It's a promise of God. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. If we choose to not just hold on to what we have, but give freely, that's where we're gonna experience incredible blessing. Tori and I have practiced this for years. Every time our finances get really tight, the first thing we do is we write somebody a check. You're like, that don't make no sense. I know. That's how God works. We told you last week that we're we're gonna buy land and we're gonna build a facility. And the first step is to to raise $250,000. So we got cash in the bank and we're ready to move when that happens. You know the first thing we did? We wrote two $2,500 checks to churches who were doing building campaigns, doing the same thing, one in, in Arkansas and one in Texas, that God's moving powerfully. And the reason why we do it is because the generous will prosper. I've never had the provision when I had the vision. It starts with vision and you need God to provide. So if you'll sow into what God is doing, he'll begin to bless what he's given you vision for. Luke chapter six, verse 38 says this. It says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return. People say all the time, I don't don't know if I can give. I, I don't think I can afford to not give. I can't afford to be the one who's in control of my finances because when I choose to not give and my money just sits there, do you know it never comes back bigger? Because right. I ain't do anything with it. Yep. But when you give, your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. God's kingdom works differently. I know it sounds crazy to say the greatest way to financial freedom and the greatest way that you'll prosper financially is for you to give. You're like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm telling you, God doesn't make sense sometimes. But when we trust him with what he's given us, when we choose to give as he leads, we get to see God do some amazing things. And notice Paul never gives a dollar amount when he's having this conversation about money. He doesn't say, Timothy, compel those who are rich in this present world to stroke a check for X amount of dollars. He doesn't say that. He says, hey, compel those who are rich in this present world to not put their trust in money, and they should do good works with what God's given them. This is where we get to embrace what Scripture says, that God loves a cheerful giver. I'm not going to tell you how much to give. You go pray about it. You talk to God about it. And then he'll give you the answer you need. And when you do what he's asked you to do, he'll provide in ways you never thought were possible. Amen. So we go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 19. Paul has said, compel those who are rich in this present world to not put their trust in money, but to trust in God. He's given them things for their enjoyment. Tell them to do good works. And then it says, by doing this, so by not putting your trust in money and by doing something good, you will be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. The whole purpose of you utilizing the finances God has given you is that it will allow you to experience the life he created you for all along. 
When we choose to trust God with what he's entrusted us with, that's where we get to experience life because we're in full alignment with the will of God. It's where Jesus would say, I came to give them life and life abundantly. It starts with us trusting God with every single thing he's given us. And that includes our finances. And so I've got one more thing for you as we look at kind of taking this next step on this journey of, well, we're trusting God in the here and now, but what happens at the end of our life? You ever wondered that? Have you ever been driving down the road and just had those random thoughts where you were like, is this all real and what happens when I die? Just me, right? It's probably, I've probably been drinking way too much coffee that day, you know? But at the end of our lives, there's this thing that happens where you and I will stand before God. And what scripture teaches is there's two judgments. The first judgment that happens is God will ask you a question that essentially goes like this. What did you do with my son? Jesus died for you. He paid the price for your sin. Did you accept his payment as the savior of your sins? And at that point in our lives, there's no like, I think so, maybe, it's a, it's a yes or no, and we are going to tell the truth. We're standing in the presence of God. It's not like one of those things where if somebody was like, did you stop drinking soda this week? And you're like, yes, but really, you didn't. You're lying, right? It's not going to work like that at all. You're going to stand before God. And when we do, it'll be a yes or no. But the second question is, what did you do with what you were given? So one day, here's the last thing for you, one day we'll give an account to God for what I did with what he gave me. Every single one of us. As we stand before God, we'll go through this assessment. Scripture talks about everything we've done will be thrown into a fire and what made a difference, what was purified, what made an eternal impact will last. And it's not that it's determining whether or not you get into heaven. But scripture is clear that there are crowned jewels. Your experience in heaven is predicated on how you utilize what God has entrusted you with on this earth. When you use what he's given you, you are storing up. You are preparing for eternity with God. And I don't want to wait till eternity to get ready for eternity. I'm getting ready for eternity right now. And Jesus tells a story in Luke about this nobleman who is going off to become king. And one day, right before he's getting ready to go become king, he pulls 10 of his servants together and he says to them, hey, I'm going to give each of you some money before I leave town. And each person was given money according to what they could manage and what they could steward. And then the king goes away. He's going to go off and he becomes king. But one day he comes back and he's going to get an account for what he entrusted these men with. And Jesus is telling this parable because he wants to make sure that you and I are ready, knowing that the king has gone away, but one day is coming back. And we're going to have to give an account for what we did with what we were entrusted with. And so the text goes like this in Luke chapter 19, as this king divides 10 pounds of silver amongst some people, it says that the first servant reported, master, I invested your money. I don't have time to teach this today, but, but if you go, there's a, there's, okay, 
I got it. I got it. I'm about to hit a rabbit trail, but it's going to be a productive one, I promise. There's the parable of the talents, and then there's the parable of the minas. What's interesting in this passage of text is how this individual talks about the money he's been given. If you look at another parable that has to do around money, it says that there's a guy who gives money to some people, and then he goes away, and he comes back for an account. But the response is, Master, I did this with your money, or I did this with the money, and this is what I did, I did. And then the king at that time says, well, you'll be entrusted with stuff. Here's more things, more responsibility. This person says, I invested, notice whose money it is. It's not yours. It's the king's money. I invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. Where do we see that? Again, in salvation, one day we'll stand before God and we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted to you. So you will be a governor of of 10 cities as your reward. How you view your money will determine whether God trusts you with stuff or cities. Your future influence is determined by how you view what God has given you. When you realize it's all his, like 100%, not just 10%, biblical tithing, like if we want to get, well, tithing's not a part of the law. It's not a part of the law. We live in the New Testament now. If you want to know what what biblical, a biblical view of money is, 100% of it belongs to God. You just happen to be the person who's stewarding it right now. But the reward was 10 cities. He made 10 times the amount. The reward was 10 cities. The next guy comes up and he had made five times the amount. And again, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You made five times the amount of money. You were faithful with the little I entrusted you with. You'll be over five cities. And then there was this third guy that gets up. Before the third guy gets up, we see that this guy has This master has rewarded these men because they were multipliers of what they were given. In your finances, honestly, in every area of your life, God designed you to be a multiplier. He looked at Adam and Eve. It was one of the first conversations they had. Be fruitful and multiply. It's not just about making babies. It's bigger than that. Be fruitful and multiply was to say, hey, you want to know the greatest way to multiply your time is to invest into other people. And as you invest into other people, you'll be able to go further faster than you ever thought because more people have the tools and resources you wish you had when you first started. You want to multiply your gifts, begin to use them to impact and serve other people, and you'll see the gifts God's placed in you grow and multiply into something you could never imagine. You want to multiply your treasure, partner it with other people in the local church, and you'll see it go further than it could ever go if you just held on to it on your own. You're called to be a multiplier. But then the third guy gets up and the third guy comes to the master and he says, hey, master, you know, I didn't lose any money, but when you left town, I I didn't know really what you expected of me. I didn't know what you wanted me to do with it. So I just buried your money into the ground. And now that you're back, I dug it up and see, I've still got your money. I didn't lose it at all. And the master looks at him and says, you wicked and lazy servant. Like, really, you, you thought all I wanted you to do was not lose it? 
And the reason why he said he never invested it in the first place was because he thought that the master was harsh and wicked and that he harvested where he didn't plant. But here's the only thing we know about the master. Before he left town to go become king, he gathered up some of his workers and he left them with money. That sounds like a really terrible guy. <laughs> but if you don't have the right viewpoint of God, you'll never steward your money the right way. So then he has this conversation with the man, calls him wicked and lazy, and then it says this at the last, Luke chapter 19, verse 24. Then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied. And to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even with what little they have, it will be taken away. You say, that doesn't make any sense. That's how the kingdom of God works. If you want increase, you need to utilize what God has given you well. Because when you're faithful with little, he knows he can trust you with more. If you're waiting to start to be generous until you hit the lottery, you ain't never gonna be generous. Tori and I, years ago, we had a conversation. We were like, I, I tell people this story. When we, when we started Propel, we were like broke, broke. Like there was a poverty line and we lived about four steps under it. You know what I'm saying? We had one of those by faith budgets where you just, you praise God, you tithe because you know it ain't gonna work out when you crunch those numbers. And we lived significantly below the, the poverty line. And I remember having a conversation with Tori and, and I said to her, I believe God's called me to write $100,000 checks to this church one day. But here's what I know. I'll never be able to write a $100,000 check if I don't write a $10,000 check. And I'll never be able to write a $10,000 check if I don't write $1,000 checks. And I'll never be able to write $1,000 checks if I don't start writing $100 checks. Because generosity is cultivated. It's not just something you start immediately and you're like, oh, I'm doing, I'm killing it. And she go, God, what do you want me to do with what I've been given? And as you start to do that, he begins to open up doors and bless you in ways that you could never imagine. God is able to do more, Ephesians 3.20, than we could ask, think, or imagine through his church forever. Amen. So my challenge for you is exactly what Paul challenged Timothy with. It's to compel those people who are rich in this present world to not put their hope and trust in money, but to use what they've been given to do good works. And as they do that, they'll truly find life. For some of you, that's the next step. You begin trusting God with what he's entrusted you with. But for others of you, we could talk about financial principles. I could teach you how to grow a business. We could talk about how to multiply what you've been entrusted with. But unless Jesus Christ is the savior of your life, none of this stuff matters. It doesn't matter if you have the nicest house or the nicest car or you make 100K a year. If you don't end your life in heaven with Jesus, every single thing you did was wasted. And the greatest debt of all that was covered was that Jesus would come and die in our place so that we could have new life with him. And so for just a moment, if maybe you're here and you'd say, hey, I, maybe I, I realized today that I've put my hope and my trust in 
money or I've put my hope or my trust in my ability to work or earn or I've put my trust in my ability to build up my retirement or my 401k so that I could be saved. But today you're ready to say, I understand that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save me. If that's the decision you're ready to make today, I wanna create an opportunity for you to do so. So with every head bowed, every eye closed around the room for just a moment, Maybe you've put your hope in those things. Maybe you've put your trust in how much you could work or how hard you could hustle. But the greatest news of all is that to receive salvation from God, it's not about your works, it's not about your efforts or anything you could do to perform for him. No, he sent Jesus with the full knowledge that you were sinful and had issues and he chose to die in your place so that by simply believing in him, you could have new life. And if that's you, you say, Pastor, I feel drawn to respond to that and say yes to Jesus today. Would you do me a favor real quick? Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me? Come on. If you're online, you can click that button that says, I accept Jesus. Here's what we're gonna do, church. Nobody prays alone, we all pray together. Will you repeat this after me? Dear Jesus, Today, I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out this week's message. If you made any decisions for Jesus or you need a next step or have a prayer request, let us know by going to www.propel.church/hub. That leads you to our digital connect card where you can fill out all of that information as well as see what we have coming up here at Propel. Thank you again for tuning in and we hope to see you again soon.